Hey everybody, Larry Wilmore Hill. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to Black on the Air. My guest this week is Rick Wilson, political strategist, one of the founders of the Lincoln Project, uh, attacking Trump from the right. Rick's been on my podcast before. He was really a lot of fun. We had a really good conversation a few minutes ago just about what they're doing and, man, what's going on right now. It's crazy. Uh, so that's coming up. I think you'll enjoy that a lot. I'll do a short uh, weigh in here because Rick and I cover a lot of ground for what's going on. But uh, let me just say this before we get started. A couple of things. Guys, voting is happening so fast. It is right around the corner. If you can early vote in your state, do it. Do it now. Fill it out. Drop it off. You don't have to drop it off the mail. They have these ballot boxes in some places. Uh, or mail it if you're, you're not concerned about that. Do that. Mail it. Do it now. If you're going to vote in person, you can start getting ready now. You know, Figure out what time you're going to go. Make sure you're going to have everything you need, you know. Also, you can hit up BallotReady.org, B-A-L-L-O-T-R-E-A-D-Y.org to find your polling place, okay? And remember, you can vote before before Election Day in most places. But if you can't, make a plan. It's so important right now. Um, so just wanted to say that. Also, um, so I'm I'm recording this on Saturdays now because of my schedule and everything. Actually, it's kind of it's kind of a fun thing to do. But I want to mention that today is Mental Health Day. I think it's is it International Mental Health Day or National Mental Health Day? One of those things. I'm not sure how that works. But the point is, if ever there was a year to take a moment and just do a check in, either with your family, people you love, um, especially parents, you know, if you have an observation. Maybe there's something that they may need or whether it's somebody to talk to or some professional help or it's yourself. Check in with yourself, you know. Are you sleeping, you know? Do you feel like sometimes mental health issues can make you feel like you're just buried and there's nowhere to go. There's so many different types, though, you know. There's uh, help you can get. There's everything from talking to somebody to medication to everything, you know. But I just want people to know that this has been a really rough year and mental health issues more than anything this year. I believe it's going to be a big deal. I've had these in my family. You know, I've witnessed the toll that it can take on people and with friends. I've dealt with it myself to a certain extent, you know, not to that extent, but I think everyone has to a certain extent. But I just wanted to just put that energy out there, guys. Take care of yourself and your loved ones on Mental Health Day. National, international, either way it works. So, uh, like I said, don't have much to say. Just want to remind people, my Peacock show every Friday night. We're doing some real fun stuff there this week. If you hopefully you can uh, tune it in, um, Andrew Yang and Nicole Hannah Jones, and we're talking about class. I really wanted to have an episode about class, and by class I mean what's happening to our working class, this middle class. We talk about the wealth gap. Uh, Andrew talks about UBI, universal basic income. He's talking about that. You know, the government may have to interfere in ways that they haven't, as shown. By COVID. And then Nicole Hannah Jones, um, author of the 1619 Project, one of its founders, I mean, she just really brings in some really good information about the racial wealth gap and what's going on. And there's a lot of information there that I think people may be hearing for the first time. So if you can, guys, please watch my show, Wilmore on Peacock. And like I said, if you don't have Peacock, it's free, guys. You don't have to pay for another thing. Just download that motherfucker. <laughs> download it because it's free. And I think you'll enjoy it. And remember, we're, we're just on to cover the election in like a few episodes after. And then we're going to be gone. And then we may come back and we'll see. Who knows? So now's the time. Tune in. Wilmore on Peacock. 
Trump this week, this is like at the absolute nadir of his presidency. I mean, all the crazy stuff we never thought could be topped. Every time there's something crazy, we never thought it could be topped. And this week, he fucking gets COVID, first of all. And then he, you know, his fat ass emerges from the hospital three days later and suddenly he's he's the COVID Christ child, you know, like, like he's some COVID Messiah to deliver us you know, from this horrible disease, you know, and he's so fucking transparent and just nasty. His deaf ear to the hundreds of thousands of people now who have died from this and suffered and who continue to suffer and making it all about himself. I haven't even heard him talk about his wife, the fact that she has COVID, let alone how much he's super spreading it to everybody, you know, and just doesn't even care. It's it's just the worst. If this motherfucker wins in November, guys, I honestly don't know what to say. Honestly, I just don't know what to think. It just can't happen. And I've told you before, and I'm going to talk about this on my show, on my TV show next week. All the polls show Biden winning by a landslide. But I don't trust it. I don't trust it. You know, there's something about that. I don't want to be comfortable. I want people to think that Biden can't win. We got to get out. And we got to bring this boat home, you know. That's the energy that I want. I want people to have that energy out there because this motherfucker's got to go. He's just got to go. Um, I don't have much more to say than that, you know. But um, so anyhow, that's it. Uh, I'm keeping this short. Like I said, I'm going to get into my conversation with Rick Wilson right after this. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. What does your next drive look like? Running between meetings? Maybe a getaway with the whole family? Either way, the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV that's built for your life. With premium interiors, available wireless charging, and room for your whole cargo and crew. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Okay, welcome back, everybody. It's a, it's a pleasure to have uh, this man back on Black on the Air. Uh, he's the ex, uh, let's say, ex GOP political strategist. Uh, I'm still ex. A, yes, still a political strategist. One of the best, by the way. Host of uh, the new Abnormal Daily Beast podcast. Writer of a couple of scorching books on Trump, but he's also uh, one of the founders of the Lincoln Project. Rick Wilson. Welcome to Black on the Air. Welcome back to Black on the Air, Rick. It's it is great to, to be back you. with you, Larry. It's great to have you, man. I told you I'm a big fan of yours because I've been on the opposite side of, of your of your techniques before. But I <laughs> but I have to say, you don't fuck around, man, in your approach to political strategy, right? Um, you're a like you say, you do not take prisoners. You believe in a scorched earth type of strategy, but I think you have there's an intelligence behind it and there's a methodology to it and it doesn't live in the same land as that Trumpism scorched earth type of thing. Is that right? I think that's right. And I mean, what we do is we fight hard with a purpose and with targets. Yeah. We apply the skills and the, and the, the background that we have in this, in this kind of warfare to, uh, to good ends. And, and, very, and like I said, very carefully, I don't ever run a negative ad just for fun. Right. Well, once in a while for fun, like COVID yes, was yes. fun, but but yes, most of our good. most of the stuff that we actually like put out to voters, it may be negative, but it's all very truth based. Yeah, it's all very hard uh, for the other team to overcome, and it's built to do certain things to move certain voters or to push voters one way or the other. 
Yeah. And and they may seem sometimes those ads may seem unpleasant or uncomfortable, but there we do that for a reason. I mean, we don't we don't do it trivially or lightly. Yeah. We're trying to to go at people and and look, we know what we know what moves people off of Trump. <clears throat> Number one is COVID. Number two is his corruption and insanity and behavioral stuff. And number three is racism. Mm -hmm. And we've been prosecuting all three of those angles with him to make sure that we pull enough former Republican voters like us over the line to Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. And we're targeting in a limited number of states with a limited number of, of people in those states, a limited number of voters in like, like we're targeting less than 500,000 voters in Florida out of a state with 17 million voters. Mm -hmm. We're not trying to spread the peanut butter all over the map. We're going in very, we target a segment of a segment of a segment in the state in order to, to move these folks off of Trump. So it, it, we, we use hard tools. That's true. It is fascinating to me because I don't think I've seen anything quite like this where the so-called loyal opposition is in this position of attacking what would normally be its own ground. Has that, is this kind of existed before? I mean, uh, to a certain extent, I mean, Ted Kennedy had a little bit of that energy against Carter, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but not, not like this type. It wasn't a grassroots type of thing. It was uh, a feeling of, it, that seemed kind of self-serving that he wanted the seat that Carter had, you know, and was kind of uh, attacking right. from from well, from the left or wherever it was in there there's never been anything quite like the position that that Lincoln Project founders and I and and some of our allied groups like Republican voters against Trump and others mm -hmm. we've never had a situation like this there look every campaign cycle there will always be a you know Democrats for Reagan or Republicans for Clinton. You know, there's right. always, but, but those, those are people are, for something, you know. <laughs> right. And, and those yes. are very small numbers in most yeah. elections. We have now over 3 million followers on social media. Mm -hmm. We have over a million members. We have over 560,000 donors. We have 85,000 volunteers in 11 mm -hmm. states. Um, we, we actually ended up growing much faster than we expected. Mm -hmm. we, we scaled up much faster because there when did was, it start? When did it actually start? We started talking about this in, in September of last year. Okay, so a year ago. Uh -huh. We organized it. We did all the, the, the legal paperwork for it in December. And it's a political action committee? It's, it's a, a super okay. PAC, yes. Okay, it's a super PAC. Right. Okay. We have a, it's, it's, a, it's a federal super PAC. Okay. We also have an affiliated group that we launched called Project Yellowstone that nobody really knows about. Mm -hmm. But that's our voter access, voter rights group. That's our 501c4 oh, group. I thought maybe they were developing some plutonium. <laughs> <laughs> is that like the Manhattan Project? What is it? Project Similar, Yellowstone? Yeah. What is that? Yeah, they, it's, it takes yellow cake uranium. Right. right. <laughs> my God, the Lincoln Project has nukes. This is why they're getting that money. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, we are, we have, we're very ambitious, but we don't have a nuclear weapons program yet. No, not yet. Right. <laughs> Keep pushing, Proud Boys. They'll have yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so it was about a year ago. And mm. was this? did this come about as a response to what you felt was out there, or did it come about as a a small group of people saying, you know what, guys, we got to we gotta organize and do something about this. You know, all of us had been opposed to Trump. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Steve Schmidt, John Weaver, Reed Galen, myself, uh, yeah. Jennifer Horn, Ron Steslow, Mike Madrid. The, mm -hmm. the, the core group of founders, we kept talking, you know, all through Trump. Mm -hmm. what, what should we do? What, we should try to put something together. We should try. And we realized 
and it, it was also catalyzed by the fact that I was finishing my new book, mm-hmm. uh, Running Against the Devil, in the fall of of last year. Yeah. And I kept thinking about like, oh God, my our, our friends the Democrats, God love them, but they get, we could. I, I think about what I would be doing <laughs> if I was in the Trump campaign. <laughs> yes. And so that's why I wrote the book. But it was the combination. We were all aware that something had to be done. Mm-hmm. And we also all recognized that we had a moral responsibility to to do this. It wasn't just like we can do it. It's that we had to do it. And mm-hmm. so, you know, a lot of our former Republican friends freaked the hell out right away. How dare you go against the president, you traitors? And, mm-hmm. you know, we made a case starting in January of this year. We all went to the Cooper Union in New York. And we each gave a, a speech. And, and I remember standing at the same podium that Abraham Lincoln used mm-hmm. when he announced that the, the newly formed Republican Party and, and, and Lincoln personally, this is what ended up getting him the nomination for president, would be inalterably ex- opposed to the expansion of slavery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at that time, Lincoln was interested more in the containment of slavery than the eradication. Correct. Correct. Mm-hmm. And, and, and look, you go we're back. We're keeping it 100% real. Yeah, we are, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but no, but you, you go back and you, mm-hmm. and you recognize that, that he was making a strategic compromise to put himself in the position to do the long term. He wanted to preserve the union. Yeah, he wanted to yes. preserve the union. And, and look, slavery was the, the, the destruction of slavery was a desirable outcome with that preservation, but it, it legitimately didn't start there. You know, that it was, it was, let's stop it from expanding. And, you know, look, you have the, well, the, well California was a big issue at that point. Yeah. Too. And yeah. you have the fallout of the Whigs, the Kansas, Nebraska act, and right. all these things yeah. that while that imperfect start, and I, and I, I referenced that, you know, we are imperfect vessels and imperfect messengers mm-hmm. and acknowledge it from the beginning. And, but we, but standing there at that podium, I have to say, yeah. you know, I am not a sentimental guy. I'm not a, a <laughs> guy who's given to a lot of like, like swoony excess about anything. Mm-hmm. When I'm sitting at that podium. I'm like, good God, I better. I, I, I uttered what they call the fighter pilot's prayer, which is, dear God, please don't let me fuck this up. Wow. Because, you know, I, I felt it. I felt something in that moment that I've rarely experienced in my life. And it was just mm-hmm. like, we've got to take this so seriously. And we've got to treat this with the gravity it, it demands. And our plan, Larry, was to raise $5 million, go mm-hmm. into two Senate races, and one or two states, mm-hmm. and just tr- do our very best. Well, we raised five million dollars in the first few months, and then it took off like crazy. We're gonna we're close to seventy now. We're active in eleven states. Um, we've got Senate races running as of today in nine states. We set out to to do two things in the short term: defeat Trump and Trumpism and its all its enablers. Mm-hmm. Those are the two things we were we're very committed to. But as a political organization, not a policy organization, we realized that the underpinnings of this democracy had been so badly eroded and that the things that hold this republic together were so badly eroded that this is going to be a longer term mission because the people that think they can run Trumpism through the car wash Mm -hmm. and clean it up and go, hey, it's cool now. No, you can't have a political party that has redefined itself as a personality cult based on racial anxiety and oppositional mm-hmm. defiant disorder and anti-immigration and, and state control of everything and the, and the dear leader theory of government. We can't, just beating Trump is not the end of the mission. 
there are going to still be guys out there. We're going to have to go and, and, and salt the earth on for a couple more years. At yeah. Least. And I think, uh, in fact, I, I pulled out a quote from your latest article, the fucker feelings crowd needs a pity, wants a pity party <laughs> for Trump, which that title is just awesome. But Speaking of Trumpism, and I love what you said, you said grassroots Trumpism is a cult of personality informed by an embrace of aggressive, dumb fuckery masquerading as patriotic fervor. Now, I think that is very accurate. But to me, that has been Fox News for the last 20 years. Of course. That description, you know, and I'm like, of course, why did it take Trump to make this abundantly clear? You know, if I'm going to if I'm going to point fingers at this, you know. Like, well, I'll give you an example. Like, um, you, t- you brought up Mike Madrid. I, th- I think he's Latino, Mike mm-hmm. Madrid, mm-hmm. Uh, where he's like, I wondered if someone like Mike, who joined the party for a lot of the libertarian reasons that a lot of you guys share, lower taxes, yeah. you know, those types of things, individual liberty, guns, you know, whatever it is. But once the party starts getting to this, their version of identity politics and stuff, I mean, he's got to feel, hey, yo, what the fuck? That, well, Seriously. no, oh, I, and Mike would tell you right now, oh, what the fuck? Right. Because Mike's a perfect example because the California Republican Party, right? Uh, they recently voted to expel Mike from the party. He's a little, <laughs> late, little late for that. That's but, crazy. But get this, but get this yeah. shit. The guy that's leading the charge to expel him is perfectly acceptable in the, in the California party these days. Um, he calls himself like the Sturmfuhrer and, mm-hmm. and is pictures of him with Nazi regalia and uniforms and all Ugh. collects like Nazi. I mean, I'm like, that is a perfectly fucking terrible example of why guys like me should have been more responsible of yeah. purging that shit. I take full responsibility. We knew those people were out there. Mm-hmm. We kept them in the closet. Every four years we'd trot them out. My fault. I wrote about in the first book, you and I talked about it the first yeah. time we talked and, and, and we should have been more diligent and more focused, but, but Mike is a guy now like us, you know, he's, he's uh, like the rest of us. He's a guy without a party. Mm-hmm. And the great yes, thing that's about, a, that was going to be my next point. Yes. Well, the, the great thing about having <laughs> Mike on our side is Mike is a goddamn genius about the math and the numbers and the polling and the demographics and, and the voter file analytics and all the secret sauce that it takes to run a real political campaign. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Mike's crew of genius nerds, these guys are like brilliant mathematicians. Some of them are like baseball stats analyst guys who just like, they, they've decided they love this, this process and they're into it. And so we're playing political money ball and Mike is a master of it. But those people don't want a Mike Madrid in their party. Mm-hmm. They don't want a Mike Madrid in their party. They sure as hell don't want anybody who will step up to the president and say, hey, this war on immigrants mm-hmm. is not only morally bankrupt and shitty, but it's stupid politics. The idea that you're going to write off 33% of the population yeah. is insane. And, and I also feel like if you don't mean that, like with what you're saying, sorry, motherfucker, it's your responsibility to clear up what you mean. It's not yeah. my responsibility to to Rosetta Stone, what you really mean about that, you know? Yeah, but that, but but Larry, they used to pretend, for a little while they pretended in the beginning. Because I'm, let me tell you something. George W. Bush, people can fight about George W. Bush all they want. George W. Bush was the most pro-immigration president, including more pro-immigration than Barack Obama was. That's why the Republicans started uh, not and, liking him. And, you right. Know? Uh, when he wanted I to know. pass that immigration bill, they got real snotty about it. You know, you know 
he said, and I sat in meetings, the other guy said, look, America is, the, we're, we're propositional. You, if you come here, skip what race, country, ethnicity, you know, food preferences, all that other bullshit, no matter what language you speak around the kitchen table, this country should be open to all. And there should be a process. We should, it's, it's the, the false choice of Trumpism is, oh, well, border security or mass immigration. You know, no immigration or a gazillion people. It was always bullshit. But when they started down this road with Trump, it became increasingly tempting to demonize everybody. Yeah. So first it was. Or like I said, or to not care about making that distinction clear. Correct. (laughs) Correct. Both of those are true. Right. Right. At first they were like, well, we don't want unvetted refugees from Muslim countries. Mm -hmm. Then it was, we don't want unvetted refugees from any country. Then it was, we don't want refugees. And they tried to pretend it was always the first one, but it was really the last one. Yeah. And that's the same thing with immigration. It's like, we want a legal immigration system. No, you really don't. They, they right. really don't. Trump made it clear when he said shithole countries. He knew exactly. Sure, of course. What, he Absolutely. knew exactly mm-hmm. the message he was getting out and trying to act like we should have more people from Norway. It does not get wider than Norway. <laughs> no, no, Norway's, Norway's, <laughs> I mean, Nor- Norway's pretty, pretty damn white. It's, yeah. But yeah, the, so, so that idea that, that you've got a political party now that doesn't believe in any of the things that drew guys like me and mm-hmm. Steve and others into the party. Look, we believed younger people today don't understand how big the idea of the Cold War loomed. Mm-hmm. For a generation of young Republicans, but it was a big deal. Right. We I remember. We entered the party because national security. And look, a lot of us are like Jack Kemp Republicans. We had this sure. optimistic, inclusive, bigger vision. And it increasingly became obvious, honestly, before Trump after 2010, that the party didn't really care about any kind of issues. It was own the libs. It was make more noise. It was what plays on Fox. And that what we talked about earlier. The power of Fox as the normative shaping function of the GOP cannot be underestimated. Also, there was a change in the party itself because I I was an observer of this through the 80s and 90s and everything. I listened to a lot of, you know, the talk radio and all that kind of stuff. And to me, it was when Republicans decided that the moral majority was the way they should be shaping the vision of their party rather than, you know, uh, let's say William F. Buckley ism. Right. You know, uh, that was a shift, you know, and oh, it sure. really it really came through in the 90s. Jack Kemp was already a dinosaur by the mid 90s, no question. you know, and that form of Republicanism, which, by the way, was an ERA promoting Republicanism, was a was a pro choice, but not wanting not pro abortion, but was mindful of the liberty of of, right. of a woman's rights. And that's the point that they came from that that you're protecting someone's liberty, their ability to make their own decision, which is a conservative point of view, the, the pro-choice position, yep. by the way. Well, I, I worked for George H.W. Bush, Bush, the, the elder yeah. Bush. and The little brown one. We love even the little brown one. We, we do. <laughs> and he legitimately did. But, but George H.W. Bush was, there was also something about him in the party where as an appointee in his, in his White House and his, and his administration, if you stepped over the line ethically, yeah. you were gone. If you had, I mean, whatever the equivalent back then, a blog post or tweets of, of you know, expressing sympathy with the Proud Boys or racial mm-hmm. groups, you'd be gone. It wouldn't even be a day. They'd be like, pack your shit, you're out. Yeah. Um, if, you were, if you were involved in like 
dealing with lobbyists on the side or making side deals or whatever it was. And today it's this free for all inside his administration where people don't give a fuck about anything. Mm. They're told you got to go out, own the libs, whatever makes the dear leader look great is what we're going to do. There is no, they don't give a damn about the consequences of anything Trump ever does or says. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a moral vacuum. A moral vacuum for whatever they think they're getting out of it. Uh, what, what is your take? Just, I mean, part of it was in that article, but this week, the past two weeks, I mean, the, the past three years has been surreal from some standpoint, but man, the nadir of that has been this past two weeks that, that, you know, so the, 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 with Trump getting Corona, of course, you know, which, as you point out, I agree with what took so long for Corona, you know, right. to find Trump. He's been he's been trying to find Corona for as <laughs> long. What took them so long to get together? These two. Right. You know? This is a well, love story that, you know, but but I'm saying all of the all everything you're talking about reached its nadir, I think, these last two weeks, even with him on the balconies, you know, the, the COVID moment, as you say. You know, the mango Mussolini moment, all that kind of stuff. I mean, he looks like Kim Jong-un up there, you know, just preening and all that stuff. Meanwhile, people in the White House are getting sick. His his wife, which I haven't heard him talk about at all, you know, supposedly has corona. I mean, the she fact does. that he's not even talking about her at all. I I can't even believe I can't believe how much he's talking about himself. He says, guys, I'm happy I'm okay, but I just want to focus on my wife getting better right now. You know, I'm concerned about her. Nothing like that at all, you know, which to me is also symptomatic of this whole thing, too, you know. Well, I, I'll say this. The low point, the, the, the non-public low point was about four days before the last debate when Trump, in a meeting with the campaign, was told, we're out of money. We got nothing. Wow. They're, they're living hand to mouth right now. They raise really? about $150 million a month. Uh-huh. The cost of the money is about 70. The grift is about 30. They don't wow. have enough money. To, they don't have enough money to stay up on TV. The grift they, is 30. They don't have the money to stay on TV. They can't keep their ads running. And he Why was aren't told, people giving them money? Well, look. Mega donors are there. There really are very few mega donors to Trump. They don't uh-huh. like it. This is all small dollar donations. Okay. And it's it dropped off dramatically. And there are a lot of questions about why. He was doing about 300 a month for a long time, and then it's just, like switched off. Who knows? Well, we'll someday the forensic accounts will figure that part out. But he was told a few days before the debate, no, there is no money to go on TV in all these places. So he's pulling down his TV ads almost everywhere. He went <sighs> into the debate. And, and thought he was going to do the Trump act from 2016, the interrupting, mm-hmm, right. the sneering, the right. eye rolling, the whole like the face making faces. And it didn't work. Mm-mm. Biden, you know, was a was a B plus debater that night. But Trump was like an F minus. And he just he flailed and flailed and, flailed, and it looked terrible. Well, in the wake of 200,000, over 200,000 Americans right. dead from Corona, that's the level of seriousness you're bringing to right. a debate about the future of our country. To me, that alone was disqualifying. Look, in, in, the, in, the, in the bizarro world where I was suddenly put in charge of the Trump campaign six months ago, and, I could, and you could control him, again, mm-hmm. counterfactual, I know. Right. At one point, at some point, he would express some sympathy for the deaths. 
Mm. He never, I mean, he's had a couple teleprompter like things where he's like punching out license plates on the teleprompter. Like, Mm -hmm. yes, we regret the loss of life and we will work to get rid of the China virus. You know, that shit is not real. Mm -mm. He never, he has never said to the American people, my God, if only I had known more at the beginning of this, Mm -hmm. I take responsibility. This is a mistake that I will spend the rest of my life trying to rectify. Yeah. How about visiting families, showing compassion to people that lost. Right. And not not saying things like, well, I think those doctors and nurses might be stealing the PPE we sent. You know, all this, all this stuff, there's so many opportunities for him to unfuck himself and he would never do it. Mm -hmm. Um, So after that debate, we saw in our polling and our research, Mm -hmm. a massive drop off with seniors. And Mm. I don't mean like, three That's or four points. I mean, like mm-hmm. within three days, it was down 12 points. Yeah. Then COVID hit. The, the top has come off of seniors. The bottom has come off of, of even we're seeing, and it's not huge. It's four or five points. We're seeing shifts in non-college educated white men. Mm-hmm. That is the rock solid hardest core of Trump's base. Mm-hmm. Even those people are like, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> Fuck it. I'm done. <laughs> Now, look, it's still a long way to go. It's still okay. 20, 23 days to go. Right. Nothing, can't take, you can't take anything for granted. My follow-up question to this, Rick, is how much faith do you put in polls? We got fucked last time with polls, you know. Well, um, here, here's the thing. The and polls, is there a sneaky vote that is still out there? Is this, I mean, I'm looking at the numbers uh, this morning, you know, I was... <laughs> My my phone went off at 6 a.m. Someone texted me the latest numbers, you know, and I'm like, no, no, no I'm shaking my head. I'm not getting confident about this at all because I know no. what happened. How much faith should we have in these polls? So um, the polls in 2016, the mm-hmm. national polls, which I always tell people to ignore, showed that Hillary would win by three points in the national mm-hmm. polls. Yes. She won by three points. Okay. With the popular vote. Got but it. the ball game is the Electoral College. Okay. Love it or hate it, that's the only game in town. Yep, a lot of people hate it these days. Yeah, a lot of people hate it, but it, it is it is here. It is going to be here for the indefinite future, and we'll, we'll that's a we'll whole see. another battle for the for the for the. I, I think it's definitely going to be a debate coming up. Yeah. Oh, I agree completely. Mm-hmm. Completely, I'm kind of agnostic about it, but I, it's just because I haven't taken a position on it. You know. Yeah. So, well, yeah. but but in the electoral college states where Trump managed to pluck 77,000 mm-hmm. votes, okay? Mm-hmm. Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. He won by 77,000 votes in those states. Mm-hmm. Total. Total, very slim margin. The polls were inside the margin of error in the, all those states. Mm-hmm. She was not leading him outside the, outside the margins. Mm-hmm. She also foolishly took her television ads down in Michigan and Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he had an open field for two weeks mm-hmm. before the election. Also, all the other things that were happening, all the externalities were piling in on her. So those state polls were not terribly far off at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't rely simply on state uh, on, we don't rely just on public polling. We have our own polling, mm-hmm. which is very large sample sizes. I mean, extremely large sample sizes. We do a lot of voter analytics. I have panels of voters who look at our ads and test them for us. You know, yes, no, we like it. We don't like it. It moves people. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. We see what people are sharing. We match back that data to the voter file. We know who they are, where they are, what they're doing. You know, so there, there we have a portfolio of very granular tools to analyze what voters are thinking and doing right now. Mm-hmm. And Trump's in bad shape, but 
He's still tied in Florida. Of, of course it's Florida. Of course it's Florida. <laughs> as the Florida as the Florida man here, I will tell you, of yes. course it's fucking Florida. People write manatees for fun. Yeah. Right? God mm-hmm. bless. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I, I will say this. You know, Wisconsin, Michigan. Trump's losing in Arizona, right? Yes. He's yeah. losing in Arizona, not as much as I would like. Uh-huh. Okay. I, I So, Larry, part of our goal at the Lincoln Project isn't just to beat him. Okay. We believe we have to beat him like a rented mule. We believe we have to beat this guy so bad that everyone looks at the, this election and goes, Jesus, I'm never saying the word Trump again. Mm-hmm. We think it has to be just an extraordinary, devastating knockout punch. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, Don Jr. will be here in 2024. Mm-hmm. And they will try to hold this bullshit together for another four years and raise money and do this thing again. So, mm-hmm. you know. Arizona is look, Trump's about five back in Arizona right now. I'd like it to be seven to nine by the end. That would give me a comfort level. I, I want to tell people, I, I, and I, I hate to give people this like false sense of, of either depression or security. Mm-hmm. If you look at public polls on the average in Florida, if you want Joe, if you think Joe Biden's going to win, the public polls have to show that he's going to be up by twelve to fourteen points. Mm-hmm. To win Florida, to, to barely win Florida. There's a lot of reasons for that. The state's a complete, you know, hodgepodge of different parts. It's like four states in one. Yeah, definitely. You know, the panhandle is South Alabama. Right. Um, and, and Central Florida is now basically old people and Puerto Ricans. Yeah. The, the Tampa area <laughs> down the West Coast, the Tampa area down the West Coast is like QAnon country. Right, Palm and, Beach I mean, is New York and, adjacent. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and Broward, Dade, Palm Beach, and Martin counties are a yeah. retirement community for people from Manhattan and yeah. Connecticut. So, you know, it's a weird place. And and, and Republicans in that state, and uh, you know, I was one of them for a long time, uh-huh. built a massive, amazing campaign machine down there. Uh-huh. And it's not just cheating, it's also hustle. Uh-huh. They work very hard. And I tell all my Democratic friends this, and they go, oh, no, it's this or that. It's just they built these mechanical systems that are fantastically organized. They've done a lot. They've won a lot. And the Democrats in Florida often could not organize a two-car motorcade. Okay, so here, here's my question to you, Kim. Yeah, I understand why polling was different in the last one and why it would more indicate a Biden victory now because there are a lot of known factors that we didn't have back then, right? Okay. How some ever, as my mom likes to say, how some ever, <laughs> we are living through a pandemic, you know, and there are a lot of challenges to voting this time that weren't challenges last time. Absolutely. Like, so to me, I think a lot of times the media has been focused on whose message is going to get through, like undecided voters, who you're going to go for. I don't think that's the right way to look at it. I think the way to look at it is who's willing to go out and vote for their person and stay in those lines in a pandemic. Like like what voters are willing to do that the most is going to be the winning margin, because there's going to be some people who polled and said, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll vote for so and so. But then when it comes down to ah, that's a three hour line and it's it's COVID. Fuck that shit, man. I'm not going out there. I'm sorry, but there's a lot of modeling that has to be done in the next few days, uh, because, look, the early voting in this country by the 15th of this month, we'll probably have 55 to 60% of the total votes will be cast by the 15th of October. But concentrated in, in just a few states, though, don't you Correct. Think? Right. Correct. 
Now, the the day of turnout, it's it's so ironic because it used to be the other way around. Mm-hmm. Years day of turnout was a Democratic advantage. Mm-hmm. In Florida, Democrat in Florida day of turnout is a Republican advantage for the last three election cycles. Definitely so the, for this one. Right. Now the Democrats are about a million votes ahead of them in the early balloting, from what we can understand in Florida, for ballot requests. But early voting is is gonna end and mail voting is gonna end. And then there will be one day and it's going to matter. And Trumpies don't care about getting COVID. That's my point. You know, they don't care about masks. Trump has convinced them it's a hoax and all this stuff. Those people will come out and stay in line because they're not afraid of that virus. They're kamikaze voters. They're going to strap on a little <laughs> yes, headband, yes. a little headband with the rising sun on it and, yes. and go out in a, and, and one last great glorious attack. Yes, except it'll be, an impl- it'll be an imploding sun. It's right. <laughs> <laughs> what it'll be, the, a death star. But, but yeah, and I look, I, I think Democrats, there are not a lot of uh, undecided voters left, okay? There are an awful lot of very angry Voters. I think the undecided voters are, will I vote or not? Not who will I vote for? Yeah, that's I think where that's the undecided true too. voters. I think that's true yes. too. Right. Um, and a lot of the modeling that we do in our target states is making sure that once we know somebody intends to vote, following up. Yeah. So they'll get a text message or an email or a phone call from a live person or even a letter or a postcard. Hey, you, I know you once said you were going to vote. Have you voted? Because we track all... so. States tell us who has requested an absentee ballot or an early ballot. We can match that up to the voter file and know if somebody's voted or not. We're chasing those people right now. In fact, that's literally what it's called in the business is ballot chase. Mm-hmm. We're doing ballot chase in some of these key areas and, and trying to make sure those people stay motivated and we get that early ballot in. Mm-hmm. Election day or early voting or election day voting is something the Republicans have not got the same degree of infrastructure they have for mm-hmm. early stuff. Ironically, the reason Republicans started winning in Florida back in the 90s is these very smart guys built this, this absentee ballot request system, mm-hmm. and we got Republicans to get their ballots early and cast them. Well, now that kind of has been blown up because Republicans are like, oh, mail voting, that's dangerous. What's <laughs> not dangerous is me standing in a sweaty gymnasium <laughs> with other people with COVID. Exactly. But, but so it, it really, Larry, it's, it's the X factor. I mean, no one knows how to play it out yet. And, and I'm not pretending I'm smart enough to know the psychological underpinnings of whether you vote or don't vote um, based on your fear of COVID. But I'm probably mm-hmm. going to start poll testing that this week. Yeah, because part of it for me, I've, and I've talked about this before, I make the distinction between what I call a positive campaign and a cynical campaign. To me, this, and these are just my definitions, a positive campaign is when people are voting for something and a cynical yep. campaign when people are voting against something. And it's very hard to win a cynical campaign. Like John Kerry, I felt against Bush was a cynical campaign. I, I still don't know what he was running for. I knew completely what he was running against. You know, This is a cynical campaign that has the best chance to win in that type of scenario than I've seen in a long time because of what he's running against. But- sure. This is, goes back to my point. The the vote against something, the desire to go out and place that vote, that desire has to remain intense, I think, in order for these for the polling to hold up. Because a lot of that polling is not necessarily pro-Biden, as you will probably agree with this, as much as it is anti-Trump. You know, I'm talking about the the increase of the margins. What do you like if it's close? Because I'm putting all these as factors, right? 
Sure. So, so in other words, I think that margin's going to get closer. I, I think Biden will win, but I think the margin's yeah. going to be closer. And that's a scenario that we're all afraid of because, and from your observation, do you think Trump will actually do something like to delay final tallies? And is there sure. anything oh, he look, can look, do to delay the why, final tally? Because he's kind of intimated this could take six months to figure out who won correct. this. You know? Look, what do we know about Trump? Trump is a reckless day trading gambler. Yeah. He has thrown shit at the wall for 40, 50 years now, and sometimes it sticks. He thinks to himself, fuck it. I'm just going to go and I'm going to say, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to I'm going to delay the election. And my people and Fox will say, what a great idea, Mr. President. Mm-hmm. And maybe something will fall apart. Maybe the Democrats will lose their nerve. Maybe something will happen. So we believe that that is a possibility if it's a close electoral college count. Yeah. What can he actually do? Well, in states that hey, where he has a lot of political support, like mm-hmm. Florida uh, and he, he could have the legislature come in, have a special session, and erase the erase the slate of electors and replace it with a pro-Trump slate. And then say, fuck you, I win Florida. Um, there are a lot of games that can be played here. They have got an army of attorneys out there. Now, and, and listen, we've hired about 40 election lawyer people, election law people, mm-hmm. and got them on standby. We have we 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 couldn't afford to have a third of the number they've got. They've hired. That's one thing they did invest in. They bought a lot of election lawyers. Now they're in all these states right now, trying to disqualify ballots, mm-hmm. trying to disqualify polling places, voter trying to suppression disqualify. by all these legal means. This and, is and this is voter suppression mm-hmm. lawfare. Mm-hmm. And you know, for years, voter suppression was sort of a marginal factor. Mm-hmm. You know, call it call it. In a big race, voter suppression would yield you 15%. And uh, like if you really invested in it. Mm-hmm. But these guys are trying for a grand slam home run with voter suppression now. Mm-hmm. And the games they played, like in Texas this last week, when, when Greg Abbott, Governor Abbott, a Trump ally, mm-hmm. said, oh, well, you can only have one early voting drop-off place per county. Yeah, like Harris uh, County. Like <laughs> Harris County. <laughs> right, are you fucking kidding me? It's the size yeah. of Belgium. I know. Yeah, seriously. And, and so... So we were. That's what party. I mean about people out there. Who's going to be in that Harris County ballot place? You know, right for, for right. five or, hours or, or right. Kennesaw County, Georgia, right. where they've reduced the number of of voting precincts down yeah. by like a, to like a fifth of what it was. All these things that they're trying to do are a sign of desperation. There's there is still a possibility that we can blow him out so hard early on election day mm-hmm. that. At long last, even his attorneys and allies go, okay, dude, it's over. Can Biden win before the California results come in? Maybe. Mm-hmm. It's hard. But we we know California is going to, we know where California, Washington, Oregon are going to be, okay? Mm-hmm. There are no really big mega states, um, you know, that are, except Florida, that are uncertain, truly. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say this, Texas is and we fought this, Larry. We fought this tooth and nail. I know you like, did. I know exactly. We, what so you're we're like, say. I'm not going to go mm-hmm. into Texas. That's a fucking money pit. We can't do it. We can't. Mm-hmm. But the polling keeps coming back to us, and it's a three point race, and it's a three, a two and a half point race, it's a four point race. It is so in the bubble right now that we put a million dollars into Texas last week, and we're about to follow that up with um, some advertising there, uh, particularly to help turn up Hispanic voters. Mm-hmm. 
Because if, if I boost Hispanic turnout in Texas by 2%, that's the ball game. Right. Let's talk about, go back to Lincoln a little bit more. So by sure. doing these things, Rick, and let's say Trump loses in a post-Trump world, are you right. guys like digging your own caskets right now, <laughs> no. I, like by doing these things. And I understand why you're doing it. And by the way, I give you a lot of credit. That's why I said I'm a fan, you know. Yeah. I, I think your intentions are pure. I, I think you, the reasons why you're doing it is for country. I give you credit for that. I don't think they're cynical, you know. Um, I can disagree with maybe some of your policies, you know, on the other side, but you know me, I don't care about that. Um, right, no, I, I get you, yeah. I get you. Look, but, uh, but for like, like we're, you, like you said, uh, Mike is without a home, but a lot of you guys are without a home. I look at Bill Crystal. You know, that is a guy sure. who's without a home. I mean, he was yeah. the f one of the foremost thinkers of of the conservative yeah. movement, in, let alone the neocons and all that stuff. And, sure. you know, I mean, I Larry, mean uh, where are you guys after this? We, we made a deliberate decision at the beginning of this to burn our boats, mm -hmm. okay? Burn the bridge behind us. Because you know what? If you're looking in the rearview mirror and thinking, hey, maybe I'd like to go back and do the Florida State Senate Committee's work and make two million bucks off that project next year. Mm -hmm. You'd always be conflicted. So we we decided we would burn it all to the ground, and I, there's no home to go to. Right. You know, the, the, this is the Republican Party was fucking Alderaan. It's gone. There's no <laughs> there's no planet there anymore. Mm -hmm. It's it's just Trump now. Yeah. There, and and the people now that it's Hoth. Yeah. It's yeah, it is. It's <laughs> it, it, it is. It is this. It is completely broken. There's no ideological predicate underneath republicanism now. Like mm -hmm. even this, all these fights over judges, they're no longer about ideology. They're about control. Mm -hmm. You get Mike Lee out this week saying, "Well, you know, we can't have democracy because it's it, it, that's disorderly. It doesn't it doesn't promote the kind of human good I want." Mm -hmm. You know that that's not a party that any of us recognize anymore. And you know we're not in the party building business, particularly. I mean, maybe we end up having to, because uh, I think a lot of people agree this country could use a viable center right party mm -hmm. as a counterweight. Mm -hmm. We could use a dynamic. I've had a lot of Democratic senators like, you know, I want a dynamic back and forth. Mm -hmm. I don't want to just be like rough shotting, but that's a long way off. Um, I don't know what the future holds, Larry. I mean, that's that's part of the like weird. Mm -hmm. Like the sensation of this is we are running at a million miles an hour. Uh, I sleep about four hours a night, maybe. Uh, I go very fast all the time. Mm -hmm. We all do. We're, we're, this is a this is the the hardest working group, and I, and I, it's not just me and Steve and Reed and 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 Stu Stevens and Mike and, and Jennifer. We've got about fifty people on staff on salary now. These kids are like 22, 24, 26. They're the hardest working people I've ever seen in any campaign that I've ever been in. They mm -hmm. bust their ass every day. Our comms team, our digital team, our political team, uh, you know, our, our, our organizers in the field, they just kill it every day. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of them are also former and, and homeless Republicans who thought, you know, these are the 9-11 kids, right? Mm -hmm. These are the post-9-11 kids. They're like, what, what world is this? the fuck what the fuck world is this i can't be part of you know donald trump who looks and sounds and talks and walks like an like an authoritarian uh -huh. so you know like i said i don't know what the future holds but i know that i know that the work we're doing now matters and i know it's important to people and i know it's making a difference uh -huh. and and look i i sleep better at night even the short windows i do sleep 
than than I have for thirty years, man. Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't have any moral doubt that we're doing the right thing. And there's plenty of campaigns you'll get in in your life. You're like, yeah, I gotta make the, I gotta do this. I gotta pay the mortgage, but this guy's an asshole, or this guy's a scumbag, or this mm-hmm. one's crazy, or this guy's crazy, or you know. But you know, I never feel that way right now. Well, I feel yeah. like we're in the fight. It's almost like the parties have outlived their purposes on both sides of how they were constructed and because there there are new things guiding them so that's i think if ever we're right for maybe a third party or or parties to just change completely even maybe their names or something like to me the, the republican party has always been centered around principles the Democratic Party, to me, has been centered around movements, you know. Mm, mm, often, <laughs> and, yes. Yeah, you know, whether that's leading a, them or following them, you know. Mm-hmm. And No, I think that's very, very on point. Yeah, and it seems like the part of your frustration, a lot of people, those princ- the principles by which the party tried to follow have mostly been abandoned. So what are the principles guiding the party? There aren't any. Now, Trump. You, well, own, but, the, own the libs. But that's a movement. You know, Trump represents a movement, not a principle. Right. You know, Correct. but it's the wrong type of movement. You know? It's a bad movement. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so what what would you like to see if you were starting a new party? I know you can't predict, but what would you like to see? How would you start something new if he because you probably want to throw out all this Trump stuff. But what does a Republican Party look like for a Rick Wilson? What What would that feel like? Are there any people look, out there that that represent that right now? Not right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, there are there are two Republican candidates in the whole country, both running for state legislative offices, who have, who are affirmatively anti-Trump. Mm-hmm. Two, two, one state house guy, I think, in Michigan, and one state house guy in Vermont, mm-hmm. and that's not a party. Yes, that's, no, that's, not even, not. that's not even a full Zoom call. Right? Yeah, it's not a quorum, that's for sure. <laughs> Someday, this country is going to need another center-right party to generate ideas mm-hmm. and to do and, and to talk about the things that the Republicans claim to care about: individual liberty, mm-hmm. free markets, free trade, you know, national security that Trumpism doesn't care about. Mm-hmm. I, I I think those ideas are valuable. I'm not, like I said, I'm not in the party building business right now. I'm not in the sure. policy business right now. I'm in the freedom business. I'm in the democracy business. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you ask me what the what I want, you know, in the future from Congress, I, look, I want a new Voting Rights Act. I want a new Election Security Act. I want a Foreign Interference with Elections Act. Uh, I, I want a, a Federal Civil Service and, and Ethics Reform Act. Those things are those things. I think. They're not ideological anymore. They're like the mechanical repairs that have to be done to keep having a a, a, a republic. I don't think we can avoid those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and a lot of Republicans are scared. They're like, Joe Biden's going to be on the Green New Deal and the squad and AOC. What Whatever. Joe Biden's going to be doing for two years? Trying to deal with COVID. Yeah. For four and- years? Trying to deal with the economy. Yeah, the economy is in such a mess. I mean, just the stupid preening over. I did this is the best economy. It's like you asshole. Do you see what is in front of you right now? Right, it's such a fucking asshole to talk like that. We got twenty million Americans facing eviction or foreclosure. It's gonna. We have yet to see what that really is gonna feel like, Rick. We're like next year. You're gonna start. It's really gonna be nasty. Like I, I'm comparing this time. Some people have compared 2020 or this time to this 1960s because a lot of the uh, people I'm comparing it to the 1930s. I'm like, it's gonna be more like the Great Depression was, where there's gonna be a gutting 
of working class, middle class, social mobility, a lot of these issues are going to be at the forefront in our next 10 years. People underestimate how profoundly the Depression altered American politics for 70 years. My grandmother was born in 1917. So she was a she was a, you know, a young woman in the Depression. It shaped her view of the world her whole life. And they were they were a prosperous farming family. They were Mm -hmm. they were wealthy. And even they were like eating raccoons by the end of it mm-hmm. and eating possums by the end of it. It was mm-hmm. not good. It was a global collapse. We've got all the predicates for the same thing. Mm-hmm. Gigantic debt, gigantic deficits, uh, tightening lending supply around the world because there's no greater fools anymore. We've got massive unemployment looming. We've got massive foreclosures and evictions looming. This thing is going to go way sideways. In <laughs> some ways, In some ways, Joe Biden has the hardest fucking presidency. Completely. Harder than in Obama. History. Harder than Obama. Yeah. Yeah. Look, we're going to look back at the 2008 thing and go, <laughs> what, that little speed bump? People already the, think that. Right. Right. Yeah, they are. And, missing. Yeah. And, and, you know, the liquidity that helped get us out of 2008, we've been, we've been blowing through, you know, free, the free money from the Fed like crazy. It is going to get very shitty. And, and I think the stresses on this country politically are going to be extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I said this could be a battle between socialism and fascism like it was in the 30s. You know? Yay! Like, like <laughs> are we barreling towards another New Deal or a Fourth Reich? You know, like, yeah. what are we heading towards, you know? <laughs> well, that's, you know, Steve Bannon has, Steve Bannon would like door number two. Yes, um, exactly. And a lot of yeah. these alt-right guys, these boogaloo boys. and the Exactly. And the, and the and the militia guys would love to see that play out. Yeah, and and I do think we well, look. We were already heading toward a kind of wrenching economic dislocation because of automation, post industrialization. Mm-hmm. The and I, I say this as a free market guy. Mm-hmm. The country had become too easily skewable to large corporate interests because they could lobby their way into any outcome they wanted. Mm-hmm. We were already heading for that. The, the COVID crisis and the economic outflow from that is going to make that sharper, deeper, harder, and more painful. And we're going to have to face some really tough moments, which is why you know getting rid of a proto-fascist you know wannabe authoritarian and replacing him with somebody who is from the great center of American political tradition, like Joe Biden, very, very important. Yeah, and it's hard to be a free market person now because we live in a world where free market cared more about the free stock market than it did the free workers market, you know, (laughs) you know, and protecting when you're protecting shareholders, when that becomes more of a concern than, than actually sharing wealth with workers, the people who are actually working for you, you know, I mean, that means the world has changed. So those people are like, well, who's going to look out for us? Government, please. You know? Right. I mean, there's people need allies who are looking out for them that, you know, there has also been, since the 1976 recession ended. There are little bit speed bumps and recessions here and there, including the 2008 collapse. But there has been a longer arc of general uplift of prosperity, mm-hmm. not for everybody by any means, but now we're looking at a broad decline across every sector. Even the billionaires are going to start taking the hit if this economy goes into the dumper as it looks like it's going to go. Well, I would also argue during that, you're right. During that run of prosperity, unfortunately, we were also increasing the wealth gap. 
during that same period. And there was a stagnation in a certain sector of actual growth. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there was a, a growing sector in the in this other top half. Now the problem is that that wealth gap continues to increase as the people are losing their money too at the same time. It's like, ah! Yeah, I don't know. I'm not an economist. I don't know what the solution is, but I, but I am a, a guy who studies big demographic trends and big political trends, and we are going to have a reshaping yeah, of the economy. And, and that's a global question too. It's not just it us. Is. But you know, I, I somewhere between uh, Mad Max hellscape of children roasting rats over a fire <laughs> with sticks. Yeah, that and, doesn't sound so bad actually nowadays. You know, <laughs> these days the rat <laughs> um, and uh, and what they call a fully automated luxury communism. Yeah, yeah. there's some space luxury in communism. I love that. <laughs> That's a fantastic term. That's great. I love that. Uh, okay, last thing, hey, Rick. I appreciate yes, you joining me on a Saturday. Absolutely I'm doing, delighted. I'm doing my pods on Saturday now because of my schedule, and so I, I like to thank people for joining me on that day. Last thing, I mean, your honest opinion: Does can Trump actually win? I mean. Or, or is this over? There's a, there's still a one in five chance Trump pulls off a, an electoral college miracle, mm. which is why I don't plan to sleep much for the next twenty three days. All right, there you go. You know, Biden's in great shape, but that great shape in three twenty five gets you a, a, a small latte. A participation trophy, <laughs> right? And I'm not a participation trophy guy. Ah, we'll see. Rick well said, you guys, remember, you can listen to him every week on his podcast, The New Abnormal. I tell you, he's one of the, the scorchiest Trump attackers out there. Always <laughs> a lot of wit, but he keeps it 100% real. Thanks for joining me, uh, Rick. Take care, man. We'll Thank see you, you out Larry. There. I'm always happy to be with you. Thanks again. You bet. My pleasure.